0: you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the book of Ephesians. We are in the book of Ephesians today. We've been in a series in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we've spent quite a few weeks. And if you're new here, my name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Emmanuel Worship Center. I love to preach God's word, and I'm really excited that you're here joining us today. I, um, uh, I, I'm really excited about this book, <clears throat> the book of Ephesians. It's, uh, it's an amazing book. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote. And so you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. I'm learning from Jonathan these days. He says to say it three times. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. We're in the second half of the book of Ephesians. Second half. And the title for my sermon today is called A Dwelling Place. Everybody say, A Dwelling Place. Dwelling Place. It's an interesting uh, word that Paul uses, we're going to dive into that a little bit. But I want to start off by talking about Jews and Gentiles for a little bit. Now, I know that when I start saying things like this, Jews and Gentiles, we start really thinking about uh, something very old age, some something of the antiquity, something you know, that was such a long time ago and that there's no relevance for us today, right? If me talking about Jews and Gentiles, like how does that help you, right, in your walk with the Lord? Like what does that have to do with you and your relationship with God? But I think that talking about Jews and Gentiles is super important for us because really in essence, talking about what God did amongst the Jews and the Gentiles and the promises that he brought to bear through the Jews and the Gentiles, is, is, is really showing us the character and nature of God. And now we have, we have been reading about how we want God to enlighten us. We've been talking about how we want God to reveal himself to us. Amen? I mean, I mean one of the things that Paul says is that, Oh, that I may know him more that we would know Christ more, that we would know the God of the heavens and the universe. And I don't know if about you, but I want to learn more about God. Amen? I want to learn who he is. I want to learn his nature. I want to learn about his character. I want to I know everything. The, the, there's a, there's a, a passage in Revelation that says that the angels— When they see God, they they go around God and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because they're constantly being revealed something new about the character and nature and power of God, amen? He reigns and he rules and and we have access to God, amen? And so one of the things that we, we do by one of the ways that we learn about who God is is by by searching the scriptures and seeing how God dealt with humanity. How did he deal with human beings? And in the scriptures, we see this constant interaction of God pursuing humanity, chasing after them in love, giving them a way to salvation and humanity constantly rejecting God that man constantly rebels against the God of the universe. And this is nothing new for us today. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have rejected God in our lives. The Bible says that we are all sinners, that we have all fallen short. And Jews and Gentiles alike have done the same. For generations that this this has been going on, Jews and Gentiles. So Jews, if you don't know this, Jews were started by a man that God chose named Abraham. Abraham. Starting with Abraham, he selects the Jewish people for himself. So God focuses all of his saving, all of his sanctifying, all of his self-revealing work and acts on the Jewish people for 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus Christ. And he tells Abraham, you guys remember what he said? He told Abraham, remember he made a covenant with Abraham, with those Jewish people. You remember what he said? He says, I will bless you, and I will bless the nations of the earth through you. And as he makes that promise, God lets all of the nations then go their own way. There's an interesting little verse in Acts chapter 14, verse 16, where it's very clear. It says, in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. He allowed this. This is what God had ordained, that his focus was going to be on the Jewish people. And so God focuses on the Jews, but God always had the view and the promise that one day, the Jews would be a blessing to the whole world. Okay? You you with me? So God blesses the Jewish people. He works. He reveals himself to the Jewish people and says that one day, through the Jewish people, the rest of the nations, all of the earth, for all generations, for all time would be blessed. But there is a dividing line between the Jews and the rest of the nations. It's kind of like if you ever took your kids to, to Dairy Queen, imagine if you have multiple kids, you go to Dairy Queen, and only one kid, only one kid gets a blizzard. Could you imagine how all of the other kids would feel? They would say, why? why, why? And so there would be an automatic rejection of that kid. And, and then you imagine that kid. You know how kids are. Yes? I got a blizzard. Ha, 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 ha right they would rub it in the face of everybody else and this is the jews the jews got a promise and they rubbed it in the face of everybody else they became haughty and prideful we we are the true, true children of god we belong to god and so we see a very deep rooted problem with the jewish people And this passage ephesians chapter 2 The second half is Paul's fight with this conflict. This is where he he begins to unpack and show us that this dividing line, this wall, this barrier between Jews and the rest of the nations must be broken down. It's amazing. So I just want to say before we read the second half of chapter 2, I want to just remind you of what we read in the first half. Very simple. Usually you say the Bible's very complicated. It's not. If you, if you piece it out, you'll see some very simple truths, okay? The first half of the book of Ephesians is an amazing, amazing portion of Scripture. If you haven't read it, we, we spent some time on it. If you want to read it again, you can even breeze through it. I won't be mad at you for reading the Bible while I'm preaching. I'm just telling you, Ephesians chapter two, uh, one through 10 is an amazing passage of Scripture. And what this passage really is, this first half, is really all about us and God, God and us. It's vertical. It's about this relationship, and it's very personal. God shows us how he saves us, amen? God shows very clear that, that, and there is some amazing things to unpack in that scripture. And really, in essence, it's showing us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, because of his great mercy and great grace and great love for us, saved us that we're saved not by works not by baptism by communion by coming to church by practicing rituals we're saved by how church by grace it is a gift you can't earn it right you can't work hard for it you 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 don't get to heaven by becoming a good person you understand and, I ha- and I have to, we have to say this, and we've been saying this for years now, but I have to continue saying this because our natural proclivity is to turn back to our old ways of saying, man, I just want to become a better person. Your morality doesn't get you to heaven. Somebody say amen. It's not your works. It's by the gift of God, amen? It's by his grace through faith. And so that's what that first half of the chapter is really about. But then... We get to this second half. And Paul, is he presents to us, we're going our own way. We're living our own lives. We're doing our own things. We're following our pleasures and passion. Anybody ever here ever ever follow your, the desires of your heart? You ever, you ever just follow your pl- passions and pleasures? You're just going to do your thing, live your life how you want, because that's what, that's what you need to do. Anybody here? Yes, we all have. We all have. And then he comes with this little phrase, this little little two-word changing, life-changing, life-transforming little phrase. He says, but God. In verse 4, he said it, but God, and he says it again right here. He says, but God. And wanting to lavish upon his grace He chose to save us. In verse four and continuing on, he says, we do not deserve this lavish grace. We can't earn it or work hard enough to obtain the gift of salvation. We receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith. Amen? And when we do this, when we put our faith in Jesus, right, some people, some people, they say, well, you know, I'll serve God when I get my act together. That ain't happening. You understand? You are not getting your act together and coming to God. You can't. The Bible says you actually can't. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, you will never change. You will never stop sinning. You will never be able to come to God. You can't. You cannot. You don't have the ability to serve God without His Holy Spirit. And so, so the, the interesting thing about Christianity, it's that, it's that to be a Christian is to say, God, I need you. That's what really Christianity is all about. It's realizing that I am a sinner that I have, I've been separated from God, and the only way to close that gap is to receive Christ into my life and let him do the work that I can't do. I cannot walk a bridge to God. That's why God sent his son to us. Jesus was in heaven. Is that a nice place? Yes, very nice place. In all of his glory, streets of gold, prepared the heavens, prepared the universe. Amazing place. And he left it to be born in a barn to a teenage woman, a girl. Not a very nice place with animals in a manger. Why did he do that? Because he was pursuing you. Because he loved you. He had a purpose to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. And you can't participate in that unless you repent of your sins and believe on him. Amen. Receive him into your life. And then all that changing and transforming, you know, you need to do will begin to take shape in your life because God gives you his Holy spirit. And so there's a lot of people you've been like this probably too. Well, I'll just, I just don't want to be a hypocrite. I'll get my life ready when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm right, when I, when I'm ready just right now, it's just, you know, I know I need to do better. I know I need to do right. You know, I know I need to get my, I need to get my life changed. You know, I know I need to do that. I'll do that when you're, when I'm ready. You'll never be ready. You'll never be ready. Christianity takes surrenderance. It's saying, God, I want you. I surrender my life to you. I give you my life because you gave me yours. You are welcome to it. And God does a change unlike anything we can imagine. That's the first half of chapter 2. But the second half of chapter 2 is not so much a vertical. Paul moves from the benefits of a relationship with God to the benefits of having relationships. It goes from vertical to horizontal. This is the, the. This is at its core. This is my my thesis statement. If I was writing a paper, if this is, this is the core thing that 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 Paul is saying, inspired by God, this is what he's saying. He says this passage is all about the miracle of God in unifying His people together, both Jews and Gentiles, one church, one church. That's what this is. All about. And, and again, I know it's like, well, you're still talking about Jews and Gentiles. I'm not sure, Andrew, how that, that relates to me. Well, do you know what you are as believers? You're the church. You're the church. And so we see very early on that the character and nature of God, something that we have to grasp, something that we have to hold on to, is that God wants to unify his people, he wants unity in this place. Somebody say amen. This is a this is a this is an important thing that God is interested in. What God is doing in your life and through all of us here in this place isn't about the place, it isn't about the building. God is doing something more. And that's my question. What does he want for us as a church? What does he want us to become? As a people, are we just a bunch of random people getting together so that we can feel better about ourselves? Is that the point of this? Are we just saying words? Am I just up here just just saying words? Just just saying words. Are we are we are we doing something bigger here, or is this just some random act of just people coming and listen? I mean, is this a Is this just a motivational speech here? Are you just uh, physically trying to get your act together? You know, because you want to stop cussing. I mean, what are we doing here? Right. I want you to understand the weight of that question. What are we doing here? Why did the worship team come up here and sing those songs and sing out their hearts to God and play these instruments? Why did they do that? Why are your kids being taught the Bible right now? Why is that all happening? Why are you coming on a Wednesday night to learn more about the Bible? What is happening here? What are we doing, right? I mean, what are we doing? What does God want for this place? Is this just a building where people gather? Is it like a Walmart? Well, oh, just a bunch of people just showed up. Or is this something more than that? You ready to read Ephesians chapter 2? Let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. That was my intro. I'm just kidding. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. So who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Gentiles, right? Who are the Gentiles. Just go, like, take your little finger and just go like that. That's that's me. That's me. right. That's me. It's like, man, God, you don't. I just wish you would talk to me through the Bible. That's you. What's a Gentile? Everybody that's a non-Jew. Amen. So all the other nations of the earth. All right. And so remember what I'm saying here that if you were not a Jew, you were despised and hated. Look at what Paul says. He says, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Like, circumcision is like a gross thing. It's not appealing to anybody. Nobody wants to talk about it, right? So, I don't want you to think about that so much because really, in essence, Paul hated this whole thing. This was a ceremony established by God in the Old Testament. And what happened is the Jews began to use this as a dividing line, as a way to separate themselves from the rest of the nations. And they said, if you want to if you want to be if you want to be right with God, you got to have this ceremony done. This has to happen to you. And he says, all you Gentiles, remember, he says, he says, all you Gentiles, remember, you were uncircumcised and they called you this. This is a derogatory term. You know that um, we Hispanics, uh, we're very aware of derogatory terms, right? That have been used against us because of our race. There There are many ethnic groups, right? This is a big thing now. It's like, it's a big thing and, and, and culture and society. They are the words that we use to, to stereotype or demean, uh, you know, pulling out these, these words to demean people based on the color of their skin. The Jews were doing this as an ethnic, nationalistic, um, separating, racist word that, oh, they're uncircumcised. Man, those uncircumcised. Man, you better watch out for them uncircumcised. That was the, the nature of their language. And they would use this in a derogatory way because it said, God don't love them. God loves us. It's terrible. Consider lower class, depraved, unable to participate in any of God's blessings or promises. So if you were a Gentile, you were, you were left out you were segregated and you were avoided if you were not a Jew. This is a sign. This is like a, like a status symbol for being a Jew with circumcision. So if you were not a Jew, or uh, then your father wasn't circumcised. And if you were a male, you weren't circumcised, which meant you weren't saved and you were on the outside looking in on God's covenants. And Paul hated this. Paul despised this. And you know what Paul said? He said, you know, you know, Paul was a Jew. Paul was circumcised. Paul was on the eighth day was part of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like a big dude. He's a he's a top Jew. He's a Pharisee, knows the law, knows all the traditions and all the and all the customs of keeping the law. And he hated it. I want you to see what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. If you don't have it, I have it up here. Verses 3. We're only gonna read the first two verses instead of the all of it. But look what it says it says look out for the dogs, not the body of dogs. Okay. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Paul's saying, watch out for those guys. Watch out for them. Who's he talking about? The Pharisees. The religious rulers. The ones who were setting all these standards that when Christ came, right? He came, he suffered, he died. And they said, you can have Jesus, but you need to follow the customs too. Paul said, watch out for them. Those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying these these people are wanting to do physical circumcision, but God does a circumcision on the heart. He puts a surgery on the heart. He cuts us open and changes us from the inside out. This is a heart thing that God is doing, amen? This has nothing to do with the flesh. Watch out for them because they wear the right things. They have the right tradition. They look the right way, but they are far from God, and they've missed it. They've missed it. Paul hated this. and I wrote this. and I thought this was, this was an interesting sentence that, that I wrote here. Circumcision was really a practice of idolatry. Idolatry. Jews took a physical act that symbolized a holiness in God and perverted it into a status symbol used to outclass and alienate non-Jews. Paul starts in verse 11, and he says this, this word, remember. I, I love that. Remember. And look how he continues in verse 12. He says, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember. Remember, Paul says. Paul says, Remember. And he lists five detriments. I had to go and Google what's the uh, opposite of benefit because I didn't know w- the right word. The word is detriment, detriment, five disadvantages of, of being a Gentile, of being a, a non-Jew. And he says, remember, and he lists five things. I want to just kind of go through them really quickly. Number one, he says, a Gentile, you remember how you were separated from Christ? Now, I want you to get lockstep step in here with me, okay? I want you to understand that Paul is talking to us today. Amen? He's talking to us. He's, talk, he's talking to us. All right. This is this is for us today. He says, remember, remember when you were separated from Christ. It's number one on, li- on Paul's list. He lists five things. And number one on his list is being separated from Christ because it is the biggest problem for a human being. It is the most important thing in a human being's life to be separated from Christ. A Gentile couldn't know Christ. I don't know if you remember in Ephesians chapter one, verse three through 14, there's all these amazing spiritual blessings. Some of you remember that? And, and I'll just read some. Let's just do it. Let's just go and look for them real quick. I have them here somewhere. In Ephesians chapter one, verse three through 14, I'll just list some. It says some of these promises, some of these blessings, right? Chosen before the foundation of the world. Good blessing. Good blessing. Somebody say amen. Good blessing. Yeah. Holy and blameless. Good blessing. Yeah. Hey, hey, that sounds good. In his love. Oh, yes. I want some of that. Yes. Adopted. Hey, yes. I want to be adopted into God. Good blessing. Accepted and the beloved. Redeemed through his blood. Having forgiveness of sins. Anybody want that? Wow, what a great blessing. Riches of His grace abounding to us. Made known the mystery of his will. Oh, wow. Give me some of that. Obtained an eternal inheritance. Man. Heard the word of truth, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The hope, having the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, exceeding greatness of his power. Amazing blessings. Amazing. But those are only available to those who are united with Christ. And Paul says, you remember when you couldn't have any of that? Remember when you didn't have any of those blessings? Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like to be separated from Christ? Our rescue from the world, the devil, the flesh, comes from being united with Christ. And to be without Christ is to forfeit those blessings and that status. You have no hope in eternity and cannot experience the fullness of knowing God and living in his glory. Number two, you remember when you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel? He's reminding the Gentiles of what it was like to be estranged from the chosen people of God. And all of the accompanying privileges of being a citizen of Israel, a true citizen. Got no societal benefits, no economical advantage by the state. And most importantly, no spiritual privileges in God's kingdom. Number three, third thing, he lists strangers to the covenants of promise. Hey, you remember all those, those Abrahamic covenants, all the Mosaic covenants, all the Davidic covenants, including the blessings in the favor of God and the coming hope of a Messiah? You remember that? You don't get none of that. The Gentiles were strangers to these promises. Number four, very simply, no hope. The Gentiles had no firm foundation on which to base any hope. No hope of salvation, no hope of a future resurrection, lost. Everybody say lost. And number five, without God in the world. Most Gentiles, of course, believe not just in one God, but many. But they didn't know how empty they really were until they met Christ. And Paul is stressing that Gentiles had no relationship with the true God and living God, the God who created heaven and earth and who sent his son to die on a cross. Let's just imagine for a moment, you know, there's two boys, young boys, playing out on the street. And let's say one was a Jew and one was a Gentile. And they weren't supposed to be playing together, but they were out playing and they saw one another. And they got into a fight. No, I'm just kidding, they didn't get to a Let's just say the Gentile boy comes up to the Jewish boy and the Gentile boy asks the Jewish boy, Hey, are there any Gentiles in the Bible? And he'd probably be at first, you know, encouraged to hear the Jewish boy say, yeah, actually there are a lot of Gentiles in the Bible, man. Yeah. You guys, you Gentiles, you guys are the Babylonians. You're the Chaldeans. You're the Egyptians. You heard of Nebuchadnezzar? That's your guy. Do you like the story of David and Goliath? David was our guy. Goliath is your guy. All the bad guys, all the enemies and his people, those are your guys. So, right, like if this is like an old Western, you know, the boys like, all of your guys are wearing black hats and all of our guys are good guys wearing the white hats. God loves us. God hates you. This is the the separation, the hatred, the animosity between Jews and Gentiles. So there's the Gentiles uncircumcised, there's the Jews who are the circumcised, and sort of the thought is we're good guys, they're the bad guys. They just need to join us and be with God. And that's what it is. And it's almost like looking in a mirror. All of these five statements are like looking in a mirror, are conditioned before Christ, separate from Christ, in the dark, lost, empty, without savior, without any hope. And Paul repeats a little phrase in verse 13. He says, come on everybody say, say it with me. Say but now. But now. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off had been have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? So we had, in verse 4, this but now statement, and now again in verse 13. It's this transition that Paul is making. He's saying, you're once like this, and now, because of Christ, you're like this. Dramatic shift in the text. We were something else before Christ. Our status was different. Our identity was different. Our perspective, our purpose, our hope, our condition was empty, dead, and lost. But now means that everything is different. So if you want different in your life, you can't get different apart from Christ. You cannot. You say, man, I just want something different. I want something new. I'm ready for a change in my life. You can't get there until Christ comes into your life and does the work that only he can do. Christ has completely reversed, completely reversed our status. And we are now, what Paul says, reconciled to God. We get to participate and be recipients of all of those blessings that I listed. We were once far off, Separated from God's promises, and now we have been brought near. We are now children of God. How? How does this happen? How do we become children of God? How do we become participants in all of God's blessings? And Paul says, only through the blood of Christ. It is through the cross. Through the cross. It was through Christ's sacrifice that a bridge was built. And now we have access to God the Father through his Holy Spirit. Verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace. Who's he talking about? Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That's important. That's important. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the civil and ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility it's a very deep passage here essentially paul is saying that this this wall of hostility this dividing line between jews and the rest of the nations has been broken down because god did not send his son jesus just to save the jews but gentiles alike that the promises that, that we see in the Bible, established by the apostles and the prophets, were not just for Jews. That, that, that God opened the door, and you see it with Peter in the book of Acts. He opens the door to saying, this is not just for the Jews, this is for everybody. 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 We have to know that when he uses the word peace, it's a nice word, and we think, "Man, that's I just want peace." Anybody ever want peace? You know, you just want some peace in your life. The peace here is not an emotional comfort thing. Do you understand? Like you, you, the Bible says that that sinners are enemies of God. That God's wrath is upon. Us, because of our sinful nature. Now, I just want to tell you this: this is the truth. That 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 God's wrath is on us. We have offended a just and holy God because of our sin. And and what what needs to happen is we need to reconcile our lives with God. And we don't do that on our own. We do that by believing and trusting in Christ. And when that happens, the Bible says that we go from enemies of God to friends of God. That we are now under his love, his power, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Now he calls us son and daughter, and we call him father. Amen. Christ died to put reconciliation with God on new footing. And so he says that. Jews, Jews over here, if they want to get to God, they've got to go through the cross. That's what he says, that, that, to get to, that to get to the Father, Jews have to go through the cross. They've got to go through the cross. And Gentiles, they got to go through the cross. Everybody's going through the cross. Everybody's going through Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Amen? That's how we're getting there. And he uses this language, one new man in place of the two. You see this, this fight p- that Paul is contending with? One new man in place of the two. Gentiles are, no, 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 you guys need to be more like us, the Gentiles. And the Jews are like, no, 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 you guys need to be more like us, the Jews. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 you all need Christ. That's what you need. How many of you feel like when you, you began to serve Jesus that, that now everything is different, that you, if really, everything is new in your life. Anybody feel like that? We're just like God has made everything new in your life, that you don't know where you'd be without God. Anybody like that? You don't know where you'd be. You don't know where you would, have, you don't know what your marriage would look like, your children, your job situation. You have no idea where you would end up because you were going hell to hell on a fast track. You were just rejecting God, doing your own thing. You remember that? It's like, where would I be without God? I think about how God has given me power to overcome sin in my life. If I did not have God's power and grace and love in my life, I don't know where I'd be. I have no idea where I would be. And Paul says, you come to Christ, you are a whole new person. Verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have Both access, have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, I'm a nerd, and uh, I know Jonathan is probably in the back uh, listening, and he loves this kind of stuff because he's a nerd too. Um, Irving Irving is more, uh, he's just more passionate and just loves people so much. He's got a more of a a pastoral heart. And I think me and John probably have a more prophetic heart. Like we just want to get the message out there. So we're, we're different. We're bringing you different things from different perspectives. Amen. But I know that, uh, that some of you are in here and you're like me, you're nerds. And uh, so I just want to give you a nerd nugget. Everybody, anybody want to eat a nerd nugget right now? Nerd nugget. Yeah. So, um, So, how many of you know that we uh, we believe in the Trinity? We we are Trinitarian Church. Okay, anybody know that? Even Irving raised his hand. Uh, We're nerds like that, right? We 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 are Trinitarian. You know what the Trinity is? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. So you are. I'll explain the Trinity. This is the best way I ever learned it. It's not. It's not. um, So I know that sometimes we teach this. This is. It's not. It's not uh, a, a, a water like it's not like liquid, gas, solid. No, because those those don't explain the doctrine of the Trinity very well because because those are ever changing and they can change into one another. But that's not that's not the Trinity. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now you are one being, one person. Yes. You are one being, one person, right? The Godhead, the Trinity, is one God, one being, three persons, okay? And we see this throughout Scripture. I can't even, I mean, it's loaded in Scripture, it is everywhere. The clearest representation of this is when Jesus was baptized, right? God spoke. Jesus was baptized, and the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. At the same time, all three were present. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in God's image. Why did God say us? Because present with him in eternity past was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, so the Trinity is very clear. And it's really cool to see Paul talk about all three. And he does it right here in verse 18. Verse 18. He says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So cool. Nerd nugget. Okay. For through who? Through Jesus. We have both access in one spirit. Who's that? That's God the Holy Spirit. To who? God the Father. Now, this is the the Trinity all here at work that God is through Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. The Holy Spirit fills us as believers, opening the door to the throne room of God where we can now have a personal, authentic relationship with the Father. Amen? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's the Trinity. Do you know that you, as a believer in Christ, you have access? Do you know that if you're, you're not a Christian, your prayers fall on deaf ears. Your prayers go nowhere. If prayers are answered, it's only by God's benevolent grace that everybody is bestowed some measure of grace to have life, to have breath, and to live. But don't think that you're going to ask God to change anything in your life if you're not a Christian. You don't get the same blessings. That to receive the power and presence of God, His his amazing answers, his his amazing uh, grace over your life for his power to change circumstances, that as a believer, you get full access. And do you know that as a believer in the Old Testament, right, there was There was the temple, and at the very center of the temple was this place called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was held, and that's where the presence of God was. And it took all these rituals, all these traditions uh, for a high priest to go through all of these different things of cleaning himself so that he could go into the Holy of Holies. And when he went, they had to tie a rope around his leg because if he was unholy in any way and he got into the presence of God, the glory of God would shine strike him dead and they would have to drag him out holy of holies this this amazing place and do you know that God when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross that, that that veil was torn it was split thereby opening the door opening the access for me and you as believers to have access to the throne room of God That at this very moment, you can get on your knees and have access to the very presence of God. You know, this past week, this past Sunday night, we had an amazing time of worship. How many of you came for worship night last Sunday? It was was awesome. I just want to say, like, you know, I pour my heart and soul out here sometimes. And I don't know if I'm having an effect sometimes. Like, I don't know what we're doing I mean, we go by faith, man. I just, we're dropping seeds in a bucket, hoping something grows, hoping something spurs out. I had a conversation with a cousin who's a pastor in uh, Orlando uh, this past week, and we were just talking about how long it takes to see the fruit of your preaching take place in somebody's life. We spend years and years, and some people just leave. They just leave. They don't want anything to do with God, or you know, maybe they don't like us. I don't, I don't know but but we spend so much time and to have a night like this where all this effort all this time is put in so that the people of God can come and just be saturated with the presence of God it's amazing to see that it's amazing to be a part of that so i am like so happy to see a hunger for god in our church right now i i really believe that there is a hunger that man, I keep hearing people are hungry people are hungry and I think you are all hungry for the presence of God in your life and I'm I'm just I'm just blessed but to know that man we have access to the father like we you realize that that the heavenly father takes notice of our worship that our worship is a, a sweet fragrance to him not a, it's not a show this is not a show this is not a motivational speech I'm giving you here this is about accessing and unlocking the blessing and promises of God in our lives. And we do that through Christ alone. That Christ must, Christ must be preached and that worship in spirit and in truth is real and that we can experience God in his fullness and his power in our lives. I'm going to talk about that more in a second. Verse 19, so then you... Are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If you're bashing other Christians, you need to stop. You should stop. You should really stop. There are no such thing as first class, second class, third class, fourth class Christians. The title of pastor doesn't mean that I get like a special access to God that you don't get. It's it's an organizational title for overseeing the flock. And yes, there is an equipping and there is a calling to do that. But I have no more access to the blood of Christ than you do. We are all recipients as sinners of God's grace and mercy in our lives. Avelino Pastor Avellino, will tell you that himself, that, 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 that he is not even the head pastor. Jesus Christ is the head pastor of this church. We are the body, and he is the head. And sometimes we, we, we think that, well, look at those, look at those Christians. They're so fantastic. Look at their faith. Oh, my gosh. I wish I had that. You can have that. You can have that. We've all been adopted into God's family, amen? And God's a father who loves all his kids. It's like, yeah, but man, if you just look at the things that I have done, the things that I have thought in secret, the people I have hurt, the conflict that I have caused, the the, the way I've rebelled against God and abandoned relationships in my life, God will never, God would never accept me. Come just as you are. Come just as you are and see what God can't do in your life. Man. His grace goes, it, the Bible says you can't imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has in store for his people. You can't imagine what God would do in your life because he loves us all. Gives the same Holy Spirit to all of us. And then verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What an amazing song that we sang earlier. I love hymnals like that, man. The cornerstone. The cornerstone. It's that that place that is the foundation and directs the rest of something else being built. It's the starting point. Everything, everything starts with Jesus. We are seeing here is a radical transformation in the history of the world nothing is the same after jesus i was thinking about this a little bit what is your uh, identity how many of you in here are mexican like you're mexican like mexican mexican like you're mexican raise your hand like you're proud come on it's all good i mean we are a hispanic church pretty much i mean it's fine it's, don't why you do like like this Raise your hand. It's okay. Mexican, Mexican. Raise your hand. Mexican, Mexican. <laughs> I, I guess, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Mexican. My dad is full-blooded, loud Puerto Rican, like obnoxious Puerto Rican. And my mom is uh, Mexican, you know, born in Texas, lived in Texas all her life. How many of you are from uh, 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 your, lat- like, Latino or Latina or something? Not Latinx because that's not a thing. That's fake, Um, but you're like um, you're you're from another country in the world. Raise your hand if you're from a different country in the world. Okay, Lucrecia, yeah, yeah, Avelino, right? Portugal, really, right? You see, see, everybody thinks he's he's from Venezuela. He's not. He's not. He's not. Tell the truth now. Tell the truth. Spanish isn't even his first language. You didn't know that, did you? No, it's Portuguese. So. So we're all from different places. How many of you are full-blooded, red-blooded American? You're white as white can be, American. Tabitha, pastoral team. You're just white, or like you have, uh, uh, uh you have uh, English like roots, like Irish, Swedish, something like that. Anybody else? Anybody? How many of you are uh, you you are from the greatest country in the world, Texas? You are born and raised in Texas. Who are? How many of you are Texan? Yeah, yeah, me too, me too, me too. How many of you, um, you have a crazy family history? You have, like, if we were to go back into your family tree and look at your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, their stories are crazy. How many of you have family history like that? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I want to see your family history that's just wild, wild, right? How many of you... um? How many of you are shocked, you're absolutely shocked that you're living uh, in Alvin today or that, uh, near this area that you can't believe? You thought you'd end up somewhere else. How many of you thought you'd end up somewhere else? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> How many of you uh, that if we were to go back 20 years, maybe let's, say, let's say 10 or 15 years, that you didn't think you'd end up in the place that you're in today. You're, you're in a different place than you thought you'd be, good or bad. Okay. How, many of you, uh, how many of you feel like you were a very emotional person that you watched the movie Up and cried? Like, that's you. Yeah. You know how I know I'm emotional? Because I cried in Star Wars. That's how emotional I am. Um, how many of you, uh, I'm going to just, like, men or women, you see people who cry in a movie and don't understand why they cry? How many of you are like that? Don't get it. Don't, just don't understand. It's like, this is not doing anything for me. Right? Um, you didn't even cry at your kid's birth. You're, like, just that hard-hearted, right? <clears throat> Uh, how many of you uh, have a natural tendency to get stressed out? How many of you are like, "Man, I'm a stressful person." I'm doing a personality test. I'm actually have a camera, and we're trying to figure out our next sermon series right now. No, I'm kidding. How many of you get stressed out? You have anxiety. You have worry in your life. You deal with that. Like, uh, I- I'm not a scientist. I- I'm a doctor. I don't know about mental health. I just want you to know, just fair warning. But I don't I don't uh, I don't relate to that as much, but there are a lot of people who do. I totally, totally understand that I don't want to demean that at all. So if you so if you what if you, so how many of you here deal with uh, with change in your life? Circumstantial, relational, societal, president, I don't know. Like you you are uh, you very angry when you see change in your life. How many deal with anger? How many people deal with anger? Come on, come on, you deal with anger, you don't you get upset. Come on, anybody? Okay. See, see, the spouses are raising their spouse's hand like, don't lie. Um, what I'm learning in this passage, I'm going to point back to the text now, is we all had, and I'm going to talk to believers now. If you are not a believer, I want you to, I want you to know Christ. I'm going to talk to the believers in the house. If you know Christ and you are serving Jesus, you have you have surrendered your life to Christ and you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are going to heaven. Okay, I'm talking to you. Your primary identity. Must change. It must change. Who you were before Christ is not the same as who you are now. There's a lot of people putting labels on you, putting expectations on you, but your primary identity now is in Christ. So when you're at a meeting and somebody asks you, tell me a little bit about yourself, and you leave out Christ, that's a problem. Because your identity now, who you are as a person, is not, oh, I'm, I'm a nice husband, I'm a father, I'm a mother. I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, I'm a brother. I'm not all these things. I'm not Hispanic, I'm not Latino, I'm not American. I'm not angry, right? I am not, I am not uh, stressed out, anxious. I am not all these things, right, that, that, that my old past would label me as. I am now in Christ. Your identity changes in Christ. Has to change. So, old things may explain us, but they no longer define us. They may explain how you got here, how you ended up in Alvin, the most beautiful town in all of the USA. But that doesn't define who you are as a person. You are not defined by your past some of you are holding on to the chains and the weights of your past feeling like you'll never be able to overcome them but you are a new creation in christ this is for somebody today i don't know who it's for this is i'm just telling you you are no longer obliged to live under the chains that the enemy has brought onto your life the bondage and brokenness that the enemy wants for you, you no longer have to live by that. You are set free by the blood of Christ. In verse 21 says, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit natural conclusion when we read this is oh look he's talking about a foundation he's talking about talking about walls and the steel and the concrete and he's talking about this building look at how he's what he's talking about paul is not talking about a church building he's not talking about a place he's not talking about walls There's no address. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about a people. He's talking about you and me. And the temple are the believers with different backgrounds that come together in unity where each each individual has a specific place designed perfectly by God. You know what the church is? It's our lives our lives everybody take your finger one more time point it up like this point it up point it up and point like this say i am the church you are the church you are the body and this is a this is an important thing in god's eyes so important to god is the church so when 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 you when you or somebody you know, when they say, man, the church is terrible. The church needs, is a terrible place. The church is wretched. The church is, I can't stand the church. All they are doing, all you are doing is demeaning the blood bought people of Christ. That's all you're doing. God is interested in what is happening here with us. Do you know that? God is very interested And what we do as a collection of people and he says it's so important that the church is where God dwells it's where where he works where he brings life to the earth salt to the earth love to the earth is through the church I want you to get a hold of this before we're done we're about to be dismissed and i just want you to get a grasp on what is actually happening here our focus our spiritual responsibility really isn't the stage and the walls although we invest and want to make it nice and but this is not where our interest is because if a storm came and took this building away guess what would still be standing the church would still be here the roman empire the Roman Empire came against the Church of Christ. And guess what is still standing? Not the Roman Empire. The Church is still alive through us as believers. And even in a day and age, when when, when our forefathers established a country where God should be made first, and it is constantly being rejected and pulled out and torn down, that even now we feel the weight of government trying to come in and invade and take out portions of scripture that is a sin that is evil and we will not comply we are here as the church to spread the truth of the gospel of christ we are the church and we will speak the truth it is not a business it is not a building it is not an organization this is a living entity with Christ as the head and all of us forming the body, born on the day of Pentecost, growing ever since. So you ask, what is my responsibility, Andrew? Why are you telling me this? Because Paul says that this is a place where we grow. He says that the temple grows. That means you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to grow in my personal walk with the Lord. That as I grow, the church grows. As I grow stronger in my faith, the church becomes stronger in my faith. And as we see that growth begin to happen, change begins to take place in our relationships, in our community, and the people that are around us. Amen? I praise God for this place. Once dead and now alive. So keep growing. Amen? Would you stand with me today?